The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is Terrence Marshall, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the epic Roster Watch podcast brought to you by RosterWatch.com, the all-new RosterWatch.com as of Monday. My name is Alex Dunlap, joined by a, uh, joined by a man here uh, who you've not heard on the uh, podcast before, but certainly a guy who we've, we've, uh, we've definitely admired. He's at an all-new website himself that you might have known previously as Roto World. It is now NBC Sports Edge. He is John Daigle. You can find him on Twitter at NotJDaigle. Uh, you can find his content over there at NBC Sports Edge and also on A Good Football Show. That is the name of his uh, football show there with the crew from NBC Sports Edge. Guys like Roto Pat, Denny Carter, a bunch of your favorites. Uh, they also have the draft guide over there at um, – NBC Sports Edge right now. You can use the promo code Daigle10 for 10% off discount. Daigle, great to see you, brother. What, what, what the hell is going on, man? Long-time listener, first-time caller, Alex. <laughs> uh, glad you invited me on. You reached out, and I was – just like when most shows reach out to me, it's like, no, like you don't get excited. I get excited because I listen to your show from afar. I take in a ton of different fantasy content throughout the year, and I think you are one of the few people doing actual content between February and March. That's your specialty, of course. And so when you join Matt Kelly, when you do your own show and have these reports from Senior Bowl – we talked about this behind the scenes, but I'll say it again for everyone to hear just so they know I'm authentic with it uh at senior bowl and everything else during the combine like you were one of the people i actually go to about player performances and just analysis so i appreciate your work well thank you daigle that's uh it, it goes it, it, it goes both ways and we all know that you're one of the epic hustlers uh here in the here in the season long streets and the dfs streets and everything like that so we we um the the the, the, the respect is definitely mutual and you know we have we have byron with byron down right now at He's do I'll be taking off for part of our training camp tour. Byron right now just mm-hmm. got his started with the Jaguars. And it's just it's you, you bring up actionable stuff. That's what I wanted to talk to you about because you're over there at NBC Sports Edge, previously Roto Wire, 
Roto World. Mm-hmm. Here's 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 my before we even get started. It's like whenever I think about you know blurbs and news and bits of information from these camps and stuff, I think of Roto World, but it, it isn't Roto World anymore. Is it like I should have asked you if it's okay to a- even ask this? And if it's not, I'll just edit it out afterwards. It's fine. But what can you tell us any kind of behind this? Like, why did they change the change the name? Did, like, were they just kind of trying trying to rebrand or? What? Well, NBC Sports Edge is what the name changed to, and it is because of the golden goose that is sports betting. It's like the basket, oh, every, the pot everyone's trying to dip their hands oh, into. Yeah. And it. so uh, rebranding then puts us all under the same basket. Like uh, the NBC Sports Edge daily podcast um, that Sarah Perlman and Drew Densick do, two very sharp people, by the way, Monday through Friday at 11, p- 11 a.m. Eastern, I believe the time is. Um, it's a betting show, strictly a betting show every day. And so just to get us all under one branch, uh, the name change, I guess, had to happen. I'm still on the fence about that, but it did get us all together, and uh, we all discussed things weekly. So, you know, it, it just moved more towards fantasy and betting as opposed to being in our own little branch and world at Roto World away from the betting spectrum. Uh, that makes that makes because perfect. Because, yeah. you know, it, it's like – it's just like the NFL draft. It's just like training camp. Like we're all pretty much using the same information. It's just a matter of how you parse that information. Like how you would bet a a game, like a side, is not necessarily how you would use that information to play a lineup in DFS, even though it is the same team and player information. So it's all about just parsing it differently. Yeah, and and that's the thing about you know I've 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 watched a lot of your work and this you know the shows that you do on Roto Grinders and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You bring a lot of that. Sp- you bring a lot of that kind of sports betting insight to, to that stuff as well. It all it all kind of intermingles, and I and I can understand why. And why and it know. helps that like I I always wanted to write and do fantasy football. That was always the goal. But I also like out of college I played poker professionally two years, so I understand game theory. And then I'm also I came up like early in the DFS streets, like at uh, Draft Star and uh, Draft Street, I believe it was like which is the first Jeremy Levine owned product. Now he's just like a billionaire with a yacht in Miami and a good friend. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like. I came up in the game theory streets. So like with betting and handicapping, like that's what I did anyhow. So it's nothing new to me. So if you want all the, if you, if, if you want the game theory stuff from Daigle, of course, just follow him at not Jay Daigle and, and read his work during the year, because there's a lot of it, game selection, you know, cash games, tournaments, stuff like that for DFS. But for today, Daigle, we, we want the player takes. We, we want the player centric takes and we want to talk about these team situations, what the hell's going on in training camp. And so, like I said earlier, when I think about, you know, actionable stuff, things that actually matter, what matters, what doesn't matter from these training camps, from these bits of news, from these situations. I think about the blurbs you guys write over there uh, at NBC Sports Edge and who better to have on to go through this. So let's just go division by division. I'm not going to keep you too long, so we'll, we'll, we'll fire through them. But like I just mentioned the Jaguars. So let's just maybe start AFC South. And when I think of the AFC South, some actionable information that maybe I – uh, just could think about is I think some of the stuff that Byron's reporting out of Jaguars camp today is kind of concerning for Travis Etienne. Um, I don't know if you have any takes on, on, on that, or if you think that's at, at all important, but the fact that he hasn't gotten any run with the first team since Byron's been there now on his third day, kind of interesting to kind of interesting to me. Also the fact that Carlos Hyde's getting, getting a lot more run than he would have expected. Um, I think that, you know, we talk about Houston, Jesus, their storyline after storyline, there all kinds of actionable stuff. Davis Mills throws five picks in practice whenever Tyrod misses one. Like mm-hmm. what the, how, what, what are we going to do with, what are we going to do with, with any Texans players with the Colts? Gee, I mean, the, I mean, here, how about this? I'll throw to you here, Daigle. 
with, with the Carson Wentz and the Quentin Nelson stuff now, I've sort of begun – we've gotten on our text message chain. We've started talking about what we do with Jonathan Taylor. What does all this mean for Jonathan Taylor for you and also anything else from the AFC South that sort of sticks out to you as sort of an actual takeaway from some of the news that we've gotten this early? The injury with Nelson is interesting because, as with all old linemen, but in particular him, uh, he's a tough son of a bitch. Like, uh, he may come back in five weeks and it may not even matter, but it's still concerning that these odds and uphill battles against Carson Wentz and the Colts offense are beginning to stack. Uh, Just in not having their starting left tackle until reportedly mid-October, Carson Wentz is not like if Deshaun Watson, like if everything were cleared, he's traded. Like then we would have to immediately analyze Deshaun Watson with his new offense because he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league on the field. Carson Wentz is not that. He's still a giant question mark. Last year, he was one of the, if not the worst quarterback in the entire NFL. So to just think that even if he returns from injury, he's automatically good. Like it doesn't work like that. There are still so many caveats to parse with this offense. And that's why I'm worried about Jonathan Taylor right now. Uh, I have yet to put him inside the top 12 running backs. And so although I luckily fall into this range where he's at now, RB 12 through 15, um, for me, he's the RB 13. The fact is that, Again, these are all these odds are stacking against him all of a sudden, just in perhaps not having left tackle Nelson and Wentz, Jacob Eason. Also, these guys, these no names like Jake Eldren camp suddenly blocking for him is a major concern. And then we know that Jonathan Taylor, we assume uh, perhaps not, but we assume that Naheem Hines is still there for a reason because Hines is very good at the role he plays, the passing down role. And thus, if we we're expecting more negative game scripts, that is logically takes Taylor off the field. And so that's why I've moved Taylor down. I think he should be a little bit higher on Naeem Hines, who suddenly his floor is higher now. And so that's where I have moved Taylor from all of this ensuing Colts fallout. Yeah, it's I always forget, you know, I constantly have to remind myself that Naeem Hines had the third most targets of any running back last season, Mm -hmm. which is just wild when you think back at it. So just uh, like I don't want to keep harping on this man, but just like, since since I have you on, I, I got to get your takes for the people, and I also just want them for my own for my own uh, input here. Uh, do, like, are you taking guys like Clyde edwards helaire and Joe Mixon and stuff be, before before you take Jonathan Taylor, or or is that a bridge too far? Uh, I already was. Um, okay. And so and so again, I may have lucked into the the take, but uh, yeah, I, I'm still much higher. <laughs> I think their breakout potential and their offenses are much stronger. Joe Mixon is just literally a matter of if he's staying healthy, because even the first six weeks, the first six games last year prior to injury, he led all running backs in overall touches. Um, and his last three games, when they moved Gio Bernard, who has since joined the Bucks, out of the offense altogether, Joe Mixon quietly averaged 27 and a half touches per game over those last three games, weeks four through six. So overall, I think he comes back as a workhorse. It's just a matter of like the variables, the injuries that have gotten his way in the past. But I tend to throw out recency bias. I try not to look at that at all into my work. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm much higher on Mixon and Clyde Rodelaire. It's interesting. And, you know, we'll probably talk about this when we get to the Chiefs a little bit, but like their offense as a whole is unique just removing Sammy Watkins and how defenses played them last year. Like this is more on the field talk than opposed to fantasy, but the fallout could be more for fantasy because last year opposing defenses actually ran the most single high safety against them. And that's why in the second half of the season, 
Tyreek Hill, a dot dropped. He averaged double digit targets per game from week eight on because they started moving him around to the slot mm-hmm. and both boundary positions all across the field and just allowing him to be who he is and use yards after the catch as opposed to being a deep threat. But if teams just figured out that wasn't successful anyhow, because Tyreek Hill went bonkers, which is also why he's my number one receiver over Devontae Adams, which, you know, there's a case for both. No big deal. Just nitpicking. Mm-hmm. Then maybe they just allow them to throw deeper more. And that could be a case for Miko Hardman. If they don't, maybe that's your case for Clyde Edwards Lair, who until the Chiefs signed Le'Veon Bell in week six last year was the workhorse. Like he averaged 17 carries and five targets per game. They only used him. Everyone just has that bad taste in their mouth still from the F- the heart of the pandemic, Thursday night football, season opener, no training camp, nothing to watch at all during the pandemic. And then Cloud Edwards Lair and the Chiefs open the season against the Texans. He gets seven carries inside the 10-yard line. He doesn't score once. Mm-hmm. And now everyone recency bias, that's that may be the last time the recreational player saw Cloud Edwards Lair actually play the, on the field. And uh to them, they just thought, oh, this guy's never going to score a touchdown ever in his life, which is incorrect. So as one of the strongest, you know this, as one of the strongest receiving profile backs coming out of college just a year ago, first round draft uh potential as well then sure like i'm still very very much in over the industry on ceh you, you said a lot of stuff there but it's like and, and, yeah. and we're already onto the chiefs but like but but just as long as you said about the chiefs just like say say what you will about tyree kill but you're absolutely right whenever you look at his at his splits between the z the x and the slot last year mm-hmm. there's there's not a real there truly really isn't a more well there are other guys that uh, were levels kind of like his as far as the even amount of time at each but there are very few as you know guys as well-rounded you can play in so many spots and that's to credit to him and also to Andy Reid. and to answer your question about the Texans uh just, <laughs> just not touching them we're just not yeah. we're not touching anyone I, I genuinely think they're going to compete for uh league records and fewest yards per attempt and points per game this year what about the what about the NFC South I think the obvious two places that are most interesting is the quarterback situations in New Orleans and in Carolina and what those would mean for the um, for the ancillary options, I think that it's. I also think it's interesting that it looks like Terrace Marshall has identified a role for himself as sort of like a big slot wide receiver for those guys. Um, kind of different, you know, kind of different from what we've what what we've seen. He certainly isn't a Curtis Samuel type player. So I'd like to hear your opinion about what's going to happen with the Saints. I mean, if you have any, I'm sure, I'm sure you have takes on 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 everything. But what what the what the um, what do you think the quarterback situation is going to be? If you have any hints and then what, what does that mean for Kamara and the rest? Is there another breakout? And then maybe anything that you have on um, Darnold and what we might expect from the wide receivers there in Carolina. Yeah, I have two quick notes on teams. Uh, To your point, Terrace Marshall, remember, first-round grade, only got bumped down draft boards for medical red flags, but joins a playbook under O.C. Joe Brady, who he's all too familiar with from LSU. And most importantly, what I look for is these rookie wide receivers is, uh, were you successful in one position? Because then a team may not use you at that position. That's it's a totally different way to play in the NFL. But Marshall, again, as you would know, uh, played from the boundary, 73% of his routes in 2019, and the slot, 73% of his routes in 2020 so he's familiar with the offense he's ready to go and has been successful at every single position no matter what also like Robbie Anderson had an illness for a few days and that allowed Marshall to move into two wide sets across from DJ Moore and that's when coaches really started noticing and like Mm -hmm. then he then he came into the slot and it's not even a competition as we expect against David Moore who uh David Moore is a great deep threat but he's not first round potential like Terrace Marshall and so yeah there's a legitimate like 
outlook that Marshall could lead this team in receiving touchdowns because last year that's where they struggled inside the red zone with Teddy Bridgewater and I honestly think it's just because they didn't have enough size and Marshall just stands he towers over both Robbie Andrew and DJ Moore uh so yeah that that offense I'm very high on especially because the Panthers in hindsight faced the league's toughest schedule of opposing pass defenses last year and yet Brady still engineered and coordinated Teddy Bridgewater to a career high in passing yards and so I'm still high on Sam Darnold even though I understand and like everyone's prospect models uh even the past two years even under Adam Gase he hasn't shown really that much potential I still think he flashed though as a rookie his very first year um for the Saints though as you mentioned all word out of camp is that Jameis Winston is winning the battle my concern still is that Taysom Hill, what he does still, his strength would be used inside the 10-yard line, thus still rendering Jameis Winston like a low-end QB2, whether he's used between the 20s or not. The the competition I keep looking at is Marquez Callaway versus Traquan Smith because mm-hmm. like there's a clear opening there uh, with Michael Thomas probably going on the pup list and not returning until week eight since the Saints bye is in week six. So he'd have to miss six games, including the one after the bye. And then uh, Deontay Harris, who would be in the slot, usually does not is facing a pending DUI charges, which would at least sit him for two games. So we don't know what's going to happen there yet. Uh, Marcus Callaway was pretty good. And the few times, four games, he played over 50% of the team snaps last year. And just the fact he's much cheaper now than Traquan Smith, who has yet to break out, even though we know his measurables and profile is a really good one, and maybe just didn't mesh with Drew Brees, whereas perhaps it would with Jameis Winston, is still going higher. And I'm just taking the discount on Marquez Callaway. Do you, though, know anything about Jalen McCleskey? Because he apparently is doing well at camp. But like he's where's Where's he from? Uh, I might might have something, but I'd have to. He was in the American Conference in 2019. He went undrafted last year and puttered around on the Giants practice squad. But Nick Underhill, who's pretty locked in, uh, is saying that McCleskey is the one who's sort of emerging as a wide receiver three or four option. I have no no idea who this guy is. Okay. I'm I didn't. At, I didn't either. At, he's kind of small. I'm looking at some photos from practice, but I guess I got to look into Jake. It's very, very rare, Dave. The guy comes onto my show and stumps me on, stumps me on a player in the NFL. I, mean, I, don't I, know know. Had, I know he had four years like lukewarm production in the Big Twelve, but then transferred to the uh, American Conference with God. I can't remember what is it Tulane. I can't remember which co- college it was. Um, but either way, like he didn't really break out ever. Like he was a fifth year guy. So it's just odd that Underhill spoke about him, and then I went to research him, and it's like no one has anything on him. It's like we've never heard of him. Yeah, I just, I'll, I'm, I'll go through here and later on and check his rivals and stuff like that and see if I can figure anything out on the dude. But yeah, nothing on nothing on that dude. Um, cool. So that's the NFC NFC South. Um, let's go north, I guess. What AFC North? I think probably. I haven't gotten anything. I haven't gotten anything actionable from the from the Ravens. Have Have you? Like I don't. I mean. I don't know. Like, and also this, this, this Joe Burrow, or if, if, if there's something that you already had in mind, that's fine. I, I kind of also wonder about this Joe Burrow stuff. If there's anything to it, the fact that they, they say that he's not looking quite like himself thus far in practice. It is still very early. So I don't put too much thought into the uh, Joe Burrow and the offense just struggling right now. Um, it is concerning, I guess a little bit though, that it's what we thought he is struggling to step up into the pocket. Uh, from that injury, basically PTSD, which is what I worried about with Dak as well. But Dak reportedly looked great before he got re-injured. Not the same injury. So 
I wouldn't put too much thought into it just yet. Still very high on the Bengals passing volume. And we know like they're going to be a bad team. The Bengals just are not a good organization as a whole. Uh, they're 625 and one under Zach Taylor and fans and anyone else don't care. It's just like, yeah, sure. Just let him keep coaching. Who cares? So uh, I'm not concerned just yet. I'm still very high on Bengals double stacks and best ball and redraft. We'll see what happens if the offense continues to struggle in training camp. For me, the takeaway for the Ravens, as you said about Lamar Jackson, uh, it's actually kind of concerning that he clearly refuses to get vaccinated because, and he didn't say anything about it, but the fact he's out 10 days and he's spoken out publicly against it in the past tells us that, okay, because protocol in the NFL now is that if you are vaccinated, you are only out 48 hours with two negative tests 24 mm-hmm. hours apart. If you were unvaccinated, you're automatically out 10 days no matter what. Uh, the fact that Mar Jackson is out 10 days tells us he's not vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Also, apparently overnight Tuesday, he put some anti-vaccine propaganda on his IG and immediately deleted it because he, uh, he probably immediately felt the repercussions in his mentions. And so just the fact that you know he could test positive even for close contact on a Saturday and then be out the next two games for the Ravens, that's a big deal because like Lamar Jackson is my QB too. I have live MVP bets on him because – the discount from last year is being baked in incorrectly. Like last year was the time you should have faded the Ravens given his 9% touchdown rate, knowing that's going to naturally regress. And he did finish 10th overall in fantasy points per game. But this year is the year to take advantage of that discount. And that's why I've been extremely high on him and the entire offense who remember clicked over their last six games as well from the Cowboys game on. And now just the fact that perhaps Lamar could miss 10 days multiple times throughout the year is concerning, and maybe we should start baking that into our process, as crazy as that sounds. Jalen McCleskey is, was, was, a, was a three-star, 153-pound, pint-sized, okay. little, little, little 5'9", 153, to, to Oklahoma State, who it's like – I and so that was during the same time as like the Chris Lacey, like the Chris Lacey's of the world and the top – that was 2015, so that was the the year before Tylen Wallace, and they they had some good Marcel Aitman. They had some good yep. wide receivers there during that time. That's probably why I, I had no, he, he he might not have gotten on the field. You said he eventually transferred. I just I can't believe we're talking about Jalen McCleskey here 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 on the podcast. You, you um, wanted the training camp blurbs. I'm giving okay, you one. Perfect. I know it's 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 fantastic. All right, uh, what about in what about NFC North? Um, uh, at what's 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 actionable? Uh, it doesn't look like Justin Fields is probably going to get his first start uh, at the LA Rams. It seems like Andy Dalton's kind. Yeah, and the other Alvin, uh, uh, not Alvin Kamara, Tariq Cohen is still out. Um, so, but w- what does that mean for you with David Montgomery? And then, of course, anything else? Like, I'm, there's a million things you, you could. I'm sure you'd like to talk about. There's there's a million things I'm sure you could talk about between all these these teams. So I don't I don't want to lead you to just to the Bears, but I w- I would like to hear your thoughts um, your thoughts maybe on on the D- David Montgomery if you like him because I thought he was going to come into this season really overvalued based on how he finished last year. Doesn't feel like people are. Um, it doesn't feel like people are just you know taking this this massive you know hands off hands off or really hands on approach to him. He feels to me like he's priced pretty fairly considering the stuff with Tariq Cohen. Um, So anything on that or any of these other NFC North teams? Montgomery is a double-edged sword because he showed what we like from our running backs that in the middle range, he has a ceiling. Like he was 
a monster over the last five games, over his last five starts last year. Uh, having said that, he was able to break out because the pass catching back treat Cohen wasn't available. The news to your point is that Cohen is week to week rather than day to day as he rehabs from that torn ACL, which is a bad sign. The thing is, though, is that they signed Damian Williams. So there's now suddenly a roadblock that didn't exist last year to Montgomery's pass catching routes uh, without Cohen, he averaged 28 routes per game over that last stretch of the season. But with Cohen available in those first five games, he averaged only 20 routes and wasn't really targeted that much because he wasn't the passing game option. So now if we assume that Damian Williams opens the year as the passing game option, that obviously restricts Montgomery's ceiling. Having said that, uh, his ADP right now around RB 22-23, it really like – it's not egregious. It's fine. Like if you're drafting running, yeah, it's if you're drafting running backs in that range, it's nothing to fade or be angry against because he has shown that he can have a ceiling. Although I will say reports at a camper that Damian Williams like hasn't lost a step and in opting out last year and just looks just as great as he did with the chiefs in the pass catching role in particular. So that kind of tells us that Montgomery likely won't open the year with that ceiling potential that Mm -hmm. he exploded for last year. Uh, Mm -hmm. Also in the NFC North, the big news is that, Aaron Rodgers, of course, is back. And so no longer ADP is depressed. Aaron Jones, just three weeks ago, you could have gotten in the middle of the second round, whereas now he's arguably a top five running back. Yeah. I have him as my RB6 overall mm-hmm. uh, and, and was taking all of the dips just because in Jamal Williams exiting the offense and vacating 35 targets, uh, 14 routes per game, that, that doesn't seem – could be wrong, but that doesn't seem like it'd ever go to A.J. Dillon, who has just 23 catches going back to Boston College uh, total. He's, he has never profiled as a receiving back, just a bruising back. And, and the potential is salivating, I know. But like the fact that he was going to step in and take Jamal Williams' role always seemed like incorrect analysis. And so I was always higher on a ceiling outlook for Jones, even higher than last year. But Devontae... Adams is the interesting one because now rather than being the wide receiver four or five behind Stephon Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins, you can easily jam him in there as the wide receiver one or two. And at the number three overall draft spot, if you're not an FFPC and going Travis Kelsey, for instance, like Adams has an argument because his floor is arguably higher than any running back you'd take there. Zeke Kamara, uh, just the fact that Adams has averaged 11.3 targets per game and 25 full games with Aaron Rodgers going all the way back to week nine of the 2019 season. Remember when he returned from injury? Like that's the floor you get. You get double digit targets every single week with Adams. Even if you look back at the NFC divisional round, I believe it was against the Rams. Uh, you know, everyone cites the wide receiver cornerback matchups, but like Adams and Rogers are so good together that Ramsey matchup didn't even matter. Like they got inside the 10, they picked Ramsey, Adams still scores. And what would be a bad outing for Adams, I believe he had like 64 yards and a touchdown, was still a great outing. Like that's just fine because the floor is still so high for him. So like he makes a legitimate argument as your number three or four overall pick now that Rogers is back. They get down to the they get down close to the goal line and they just practice the shit out of that whip route and those yep. things. Like, those oh, they're things, so good at it. Yeah, like it's uh it's almost like he's a he's like their goal line back. It's, it's, it's like um crazy. and you know, maybe maybe the margin between them uh gets a lot closer this year because Adam Thielen overall did lead the league in end zone targets and converting those end zone targets into touchdown. But like Adam Thielen was used inside the 10 for a reason because him and Kirk Cousins were just so good together inside the Mm -hmm. 10. Like uh, they didn't even use Justin Jefferson really in that spot because Adam Thielen knows how to play that route. And so again, maybe Justin Jefferson, who's obviously like one of the best receivers in the entire NFL all of a sudden uh, gets closer in that range. But like they use Thielen in that range because he's very good at it. 
The 2021 Roster Watch Cheat Sheet is available now at rosterwatch.com. The revolutionary cheat sheet to change fantasy football forever is back only at rosterwatch.com. Winning fantasy players don't use outdated magazines or expensive draft software that's impossible to navigate. The Roster Watch Cheat Sheet. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. That's it. Three rules. Guys, it couldn't be easier. The Roster Watch Cheat Sheet. An expert quality draft is guaranteed as long as you follow the rules, the three simple rules that a toddler could follow. This sheet is magical, it's mystical, it is mythical. It is the Roster Watch Cheat Sheet. Only at rosterwatch.com. All right, so let's let's get to the uh let's let's go to the AFC East and I I'd like to hear what you have, but I guess to me when I think about it, there's a lot of intrigue there. I mean, it's like Tua, Tua looks like he's, you know, it feels like some of the reports were rough at first, but feel like they're getting better and better. Um, but I mean, for me, it's mainly just this stuff of Mac Jones, you know, how long till he takes over? Because it feels like Cam is, is going to, is going to start out this, this season as the starter. If you can look what Belichick has to say for now. Um, do you have any thoughts about Mac Jones and Cam and then just anything else that you have going on in the AFC East that, that, that you're monitoring closely well, and, and, and find actionable? The biggest one right now is that Elijah Moore is basically play, paying the Roto World bills for us because <laughs> every, every day is a new Elijah Moore blurb. So much though, like Connor Hughes, one of the locked in Jets beat riders, says he goes to Jets practices trying to focus on anyone else, but Elijah Moore prevents that. Because like he just forces you to watch him. He opened the mm. team on the second string and now has already surged the first team offense, uh, competing with Keelan Cole on the outside. And it's funny because like we know, you know, Elijah Moore broke out at the age of 19 at his best season mm-hmm. at that age. Mm-hmm. Also um, left the uh, completed usurped A.J. Brown's school record for receptions in a year uh, for 86 in his final season at Ole Miss as well, but was only used out wide throughout his college career on 8.4% of his snaps, 147 total snaps. But the fact he's already competing to start on the outside with the Jets and he excelled in the slot, like it tells you that he's going to be on the field all the time and that he has the athletic traits to excel no matter where they put him and they recognize it. That's the most important part here is that Robert Sala already sees we're going to use this guy everywhere. And so just the fact that as a rookie explosive wideout with a deep threat quarterback for whatever we think of Zach Wilson, uh, I am done trying to evaluate quarterbacks in the NFL transitioning because like we just get it wrong so often. It's an impossible thing to do, whether you're in fantasy football, whether you're in part of a front office, no one does it right. No one gets it right. So uh, we know Wilson's traits. How about we just bank on that arm with Elijah Moore and see what they can do together. So it seems like he's going to make an immediate impact, even in redraft leagues as like an option in your eighth or ninth round. Do you, do you like just, just out of curiosity, I don't want to take it to another division, but do you like uh, at the very end of drafts there, do you like Rondale Moore or Elijah Moore as a guy to take a flyer on between the Moors? Because I, I had a lot of trouble between those guys pre-draft. I had them right three and four. I had, I had, I had a hard time deciding which one I, I liked better as prospects. And now we're getting to a spot where I'm having a hard time deciding which one I like better as far as their actual fantasy prospects this season. If Rondell Moore had been impressive the last two years, I would say Rondell Moore because I'm still banking on 2018 essentially for him. Um, <laughs> it's I hard just, to forget. 
it's hard I, to forget. <laughs> yeah. And as you, as you know, like it's hard to explain to other people, but like everyone sees him. It's like, look at this five, seven little chump, but it's like, dude, do you know when he goes in the gym, he's still like squat six fifty and like deadlifts five fifty, and he's more athletic than any NFL cornerback who's going to cover him. He like, told dude, he told us that if, that, that if, that if he wasn't playing football, he'd be a fucking acrobat. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of weirdo he is, man. He's, he's just, he's just, he's, he's built differently, man. He's built differently. Uh, Rondo Moore, I'm, I'm actually higher on Rondo Moore than Rashad Bateman in both best ball and redraft. Having said that, Elijah Moore is still the highest, just knowing that he's immediately going to play, whereas we don't know with Moore because A.J. Green, it sounds like, is going to start in two wide sets for whatever we think about that. And then uh, Christian Kirk is mysteriously absent from every practice. We don't know when he's going to return. And then we have to see what else happens with Rondo Moore and Larry Fitzgerald. Fair enough. All right. It, it just, it just any, any quick take on the Cam Newton stuff. Do you think he'll be quarterback for week one? Do you think that that'll stick? I genuinely don't know. The concern with Mac Jones, who I'm still drafting as my QB three or four in super flex leagues, is that they would still bring Cam Newton in as a battering ram inside the 10. Like yeah, it, yeah, li- yeah. literally 50% of his fantasy production last year was on the ground. Like it wasn't through the air. He threw eight touchdowns. Uh, they they won seven games impressively with him throwing only eight touchdowns. But like all of his fantasy production came on the ground. And just the fact that that's his strength, it makes sense that they would use him as that, which would then lower Mac Jones and more importantly, Damian Harris's ceiling. Because if we just said Cam Newton doesn't play a snap at all, I genuinely think uh, Damian Harris has 15 touchdown upside because like he's the only guy there that would play that role, especially since we still consider Sony Michelle to be cut on the final day of training camp uh, cuts. Do you, all right. So, so NFC East, um, I feel like it's, I just, I mean, I feel like it's actionable just to say that CD lamb looks like he's over uh, just from the looks of it. And I said it from last, I said it to a lot of hate from even Dallas fans last year. I'm like, why do you guys hate me for saying that CD lamb comes in here? He's he, he's already your best wide receiver. The minute he steps in the building, people thought I was ridiculous. Said people, you know, I'm just the Dallas fans come at me. I'm like, well, what do you like? He, I'm, I'm talking up your own guy. <laughs> you know, that's like a, you, you're taking this. This is me saying Amari sucks. It's not. This is me saying CD's awesome. Um, do you, do you think that this point though he could be being overdrafted? I saw him going the I saw him going the second round of uh, of, 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 a, of a draft that I was in just two nights ago, and I felt like that felt like it was a little bit steep for me. I was in same. I was in the puppy, the five dollar underdog draft that I'm trying to just jam in because I didn't even get to play the puppy one. It filled so quickly, and uh, C.D. Lamb is going at the first, second round turn all of a sudden, and that's a little too rich for me. Even though I do want shares. If that's the case, I continue just drafting and buying the dip on Amari Cooper, who has still averaged like a team high 23% target share in the games he's played with Dak Prescott since being traded. Last year under Kellen Moore, averaged 18 fantasy points per game as the team's number one receiver. I will say, though, the ceiling is clearly there, not just from being CeeDee Lamb as a whole and profiling as an amazing player, but also last year he was out snapped in games because they exclusively played him in the slot. 93% of his routes from the slot. Whereas this year in the spring and OTAs and in training camp and Kellen Moore has even acknowledged they are using him all over the field. So it seems like he's not coming off and Michael Gallup will be the odd man out strictly playing from the boundary. Gallup played 93% of his routes from the boundary last year. I don't expect that 
to change, seeing as he actually is a very good deep threat. Everyone gets mad at Gallup, by the way, like uh, because like the, the targets are volatile. But that's what happens when you're strictly like a maybe he's not strictly a deep guy, but when you are a deep player, you need volume. Otherwise, it's going to be like Kenny Galladay, whereas your production week to week is volatile. Having said that, yeah, CeeDee Lamb, I think he's going to be on the field every one. So while he is maybe being slightly overdrafted the past two weeks, he is going five spots ahead of Amari Cooper. I'm just fine getting both and then making Dak Prescott also buying the dip as the QB four or five overall and just double stacking them right now because I don't really worry about Dak's injuries this early into the preseason. Yeah, I, I, I will say I, I would generally be with you about the, you know, no Michael Gallup in the slot, but I, I, I did see him taking some reps out of the slot on NFL Network earlier mm-hmm. today. So, like, maybe they're trying to, I don't know. Maybe they were, they were doing it in OTAs, actually, too. I just yeah. didn't buy it. But hey, if they're going to use, if they're going to move Gallup around, too, like, I would love it. Because also, Honestly, after this year as an organization, now it's the Cowboys. They're probably going to do it wrong, but you should shift the market. <laughs> you should you should move on from Cooper because the, the contract yeah. allows you to and shift that money to Michael Gallup and bringing him back. But again, it's the Cowboys. They're probably not going to do that. No, you, you like like Jerry's going to get rid of right. <laughs> ship ship Amari right. down the river and keep Gallup. Come on. Um, all right. So uh, all right. So the West. All right. So AFC AFC West. Actionable information. We already talked a little bit about the Chiefs. Um, you, you can whatever you, whatever you got, but I mean, I would like to hear what you have to say about maybe Denver um, because it looks like Melvin Gordon. We'd written him off, but apparently he's still running ahead of Javante Williams. Um, and there's also the stuff with you know Cortland Sutton. He he's he hasn't been looking very good. Jerry Judy, on the other hand, has been looking better than ever. We've sort of had the talk on the Sirius XM show that maybe Drew Locke would be the better quarterback for Cortland Sutton, and Teddy Bridgewater maybe the better quarterback for Jerry Judy, just because stylistically those two, uh, um, those two quarterbacks stylistically sort of profile as the type that are, you know, Locke has the bigger arm. He'll push it downfield to get it to the big mm-hmm. alpha X wide receiver. Whereas Teddy Bridgewater, he's not, you know, he's not, he's, he's not a technician or anything like that, but he's been fairly accurate and you've got a separator like Jerry Judy. It feels like that would be a more of a boon for Judy. Do you have any takes on the, on the Broncos offense, sort of what you expect and how you see it? And then anything else you have about the AFC West? Well, the issue for Locke is that we know top five deep ball rate, 20 plus yards down the field last year, but it's still Drew Locke. And the same thing he struggled with in Missouri is the same thing he struggled with in the league. And he's just a second round pick. I don't understand why they don't just move on, but they see they feel tied to him for some reason. But either way, like that is why Cortland Sutton in his six full games of Drew Locke has only finished one game inside the top 38 receivers because like Locke just is not accurate downfield, finished outside the top 30 and deep top, ball. Hold on. What did you say on the out of that? That's a great stat. What was Court, that? Cortland Sutton has played six full games with Drew Locke. He has finished inside the top 38 wide receivers just once. A top and that, 38. That's horrible. Yeah. And that and that happened to be the Drew Locke's debut game against the Chargers. Remember that like they weren't even going to win until Drew Locke launched a ball at him in the last few seconds. Mm-hmm. And then uh Cortland Sutton drew a DPI, and then they just can't went down to kick the field goal to win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, yeah, like Cortland Sutton strengths and Drew Locke, although you think they would mesh, Locke finished outside the top 30 in deep ball accuracy. Thus, they don't mesh at all. So like those deep balls and those empty prayer air yards, I call them prayer yards, they just don't matter. They don't amount to anything. Whereas Jerry Judy earned 112 targets as a immediate separator in the NFL last year. And I understand that he had 12 drops, but we don't worry about drops because again, he earned those targets. Like, especially as someone with soft hands from college, we expect the drops issue to just go away. No big deal. Uh, 
So if we get Teddy Bridgewater in center, it's great because the Broncos sneakily have the league's easiest projected schedule of opposing pass defenses. And I know a lot of people don't like that stat because they just say, oh, so much changes in the NFL. But I love to use that the weighted teams in that stat because that at least tells us they're going to have an easy time of opposing pass defenses. doesn't have to be the easiest, but it tells us it's going to be easy. And so as long as we get a player who completes passes like Bridgewater and not one that doesn't like Drew Locke, it's a uh, pretty good for Judy and company. So that's why I'm hoping for Bridgewater. It, for, I'm sorry. I, I, was, just, I, I was just going to ask you about the running backs. If there's anything you can take away from that news. I think, well, it does sound like Melvin Gordon's going to stick on the roster. Uh, Benjamin Albright, who's you know at every single practice, pretty locked into Broncos news, even sounds like, no, like Melvin Gordon's clearly the starter on this offense. The thing is, I would still expect Javante Williams to be the better back and starting by the end of the year. So I would still be buying the dip on Javante Williams. I have been treating Javante Williams as my RB2 when I have an anchor or hero RB start, whatever the hell everyone wants to call it. Because like we don't care about Javante Williams' weekly floor or as long as we have like a Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin Cook making up for that production every single week. We can wait and just take like a Tony Pollard, a Javonta Williams, guys who we don't expect to get their production weekly at all and hope their ceilings just explode at the end of the year if something happens to the starter ahead of them. And so that's how I'm treating it. Not necessarily you have to bend over backwards to get Melvin Gordon, but so much like maybe take him into account a little bit more, raise your rankings a bit, and then also buy the dip on Javonta Williams as a late season starter. My two, my two favorite guys from Broncos camp. It's like the devil on each shoulder with Ben Albright over here and Cecil Lammy over here, and like Ben. Oh, Cecil's saying, good too. Yeah, you've been saying, been saying, hey, don't, hey, you know, Melvin Gordon starting, and, and Cecil saying, take, take Javante Williams in the fourth round of your fantasy drafts, and you're just like, you know, it's, 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 it's crazy, man. But I think that you laid out the dichotomy really well. I think if you're going to be taking the uh, Javante Williams side of it, you might need to wait a little while. But I, I think eventually he's going to. You serve Melvin Gordon. They didn't draft that guy for 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 no reason. Right. And one other quick one is uh, on McCole Hardman because he is definitively the team's number two out of camp. He's staying after practice, working with Andy Reid individually. He's working with Patrick Mahomes individually. The thing is, I don't know if he's overvalued, undervalued. He's definitely like a tear breaker, someone we could see with a wide receiver two potential with Mahomes especially. But like, remember last year, it wasn't about opportunity. Like the fact he's now the number two, doesn't matter at all. It really just comes down to, has he learned to play wide receiver in the NFL? And I don't know yet. That's why I think it's fine buying shares. Uh, but also if you're fading him, that's okay too, because we don't know. He played six games without Sammy Watkins last year, and he actually averaged one fewer target per game, only the similar amount of fantasy points, seven and a half points per game, just literally wasn't good enough. So much so that they allowed Byron Pringle to run more routes in the postseason than Michael Hardman. So the fact that Michael Hardman's the number two, I don't know if it means much. It's just a matter of he's going to be on the field and hopefully he's better because remember uh, a converted cornerback only played slot receivers last two years at Georgia. We'll have to see if an off season and training camp actually help him. And maybe it does. I would have liked it better if he would have, if he would have sought out Patrick Mahomes once during this off season for a private workout together, which is something that the people around there say that he yeah. didn't do, but, they, but so that's one side, but the other side is like, Jesus, man, you give me, you give me six and a half, six and a half targets a game for Nicole Hardman with what he could do with the ball in his hands. It's just like, it's just, you get him in the 11th or 12th round and that's just Yahtzee. Absolutely. Course, he is the breaker. Like he, he is the one that's going to make you cry if you're fading, but also like you could be right if you're fading him. It's a double-edged <laughs> sword. All right. So he is John Daigle. Daigle, it, it's, it's at, it, it is at not Jay Daigle on Twitter before we talk, uh, one last division here, NFC West. 
tell the people where they can find you. Tell them what all you guys have going on over there, the podcast, everything like that. Yeah, it's at Najee Daigle on Twitter, which is still the worst handle ever, but I made my bed in 2009, and now we stick with it. (laughs) Um, A good football show on iTunes is where we talk. We're about to ramp up to five episodes per week, so go ahead and subscribe there. And then, of course, if you go to NBCSportsEdge.com, our online draft guide that's continuing to update daily for any pressing news uh, is available, and you can use the promo code Daigle10 to get a discount as well. So go ahead and lock into that if you're in the redraft streets. Perfect. All right, Daigle. Uh, So – I guess for the last thing with the NFC West, we already t- we talked a little bit about Rondale Moore, who's always at the front of the the front of my mind. Um, I guess there's the Seahawks stuff where they might be, spe- you know, Shane Waldron talking about how he's speeding up the you know, speeding things up a little bit. If we can get back to having letting Russ cook like he was to start last season, that sure would be awesome. But to me, and again, anything you got, you know, I would love to hear it. But I'm certainly would want to get you out of here without hearing your take on the Rams backfield. Um, what you think of Daryl Henderson, if you think that there's any sort of threat from any sort of lingering free agent signing or, you know, whether Xavier Jones or uh, Jake Funk or any of these guys, you know, those guys are mixing in with the ones right now, according to Jordan Rodriguez. We don't know uh, exactly why, or, you know, if that would continue, do you believe in Daryl Henderson and how do you see this whole running game shaking out in the midst of the massive cam Akers fallout? Henderson was one of my favorite players coming out of Memphis. Just uh, an absolute stud and so much fun to watch. And I understand his rookie year uh, struggled in the zone run concept since he's just a straight line dude. Uh, And that's why he struggled to find and have vision and find the gap as well. Last year it clicked, whereas he was the workhorse for a little bit because Cam Akers won the job, started the year as a starter, uh, had that high ankle sprain, disappeared. Weeks 2 through 11, Henderson took over. He suffered a high ankle sprain. And then from that point forward, Akers broke out and we saw what happened, but Henderson, Sean McFay keeps mentioning this mysterious injury. Uh, and more importantly, that they just want to keep him healthy. They just want to preserve him since he's basically been injured the past two years or struggled in that concept, like I said earlier. So I don't know if he's going to be a workhorse, but I do think we are either too high or too low on him. And I'm not sure which one. I have him settled at RB21 right now, right behind Montgomery. But maybe, like, there's a case he should be ahead of Chris Carson. Like, maybe he should be just behind Najee Harris or JT as, like, the RB14 or 15. Because if they do lean on him, like, that's what this entails. The Rams have the easiest projected schedule of opposing rush defenses. And we know that just having Stafford under center as opposed to Jared Goff, like they're going to be able to use the entire, every single inch of that turf at SoFi Field. Uh, It's going to be an amazing offense, probably be tops and yards per play. And so, yeah, that's why I'm trying to buy into Henderson. But again, for redraft, we just don't know if like the third round is too high or too low. Uh, I I want to lean the former or the latter. I think he could be a workhorse with his offense. And I don't want to think about Xavier Jones and Jake Funk being like players that are actually going to make an impact when it comes to Daryl Henderson, who they previously traded up for before nixing the idea of that and trading up again for Cam Akers the following year. So I'm going to probably be all in on Daryl Henderson and the high stakes streets. Once we get to Vegas in early September and um, everyone's trying to decide and declare and overdraft players, depending on where we have them. And yeah, that's, that's how I lean right now on him. But the other pressing news from, the division is that Trey Lance, of course, and the perpetual liar that Kyle Shanahan is uh, <laughs> not getting first team reps, 
Shanahan, of course, said there's no plans to get Lance reps with the first team after he blazes and just outbetters and outperforms Jimmy Garoppolo. And then literally 24 hours later at the next practice, put Lance on the field for first string reps. Mm-hmm. It, the way it's going, it's sounding as if they just they cannot help themselves. And more importantly, Lance is forcing the issue, which was always always the record or always the problem here that no matter what, like they'll just bench Garoppolo's 23 million and call it a day and move on to Lance immediately. And that's the case then for best ball. It's easy. You, uh, you draft an early quarterback with, especially like let's say Lamar Jackson with a late buy and uh Trey Lance's week six buy for San Francisco doesn't really matter because you have this guy who's probably going to be starting him and best ball scoring every single week. Anyhow, and two quarterback bills. For redraft, it becomes an issue because, as we know, it's smarter to play the late-round game and uh, not worry at quarterback and just wait. But if that's the case with Trey Lance, you don't want to do that in redraft because like, even when he starts, perhaps he's not starting over a guy like Lamar Jackson or Dak or Kyler Murray. What, what I do, how I approach him, is I draft him late because everyone is concerned about him starting, of course, and then you draft either Sam Darnold or Kirk Cousins just because of what their schedule allows for. Uh, for instance, for the Panthers, I'm trying to remember this exactly. I don't have it pulled up. Here we go. Panthers, their first six games. Remember, 49ers by week six. So we need Lance to start by week seven, but no one's going to draft Sam Darnold. You add him in the last round, and the Panthers play the Jets, Saints, Texans, Cowboys, Eagles, and Vikings in those first six games. Terrific matchup for Sam Darnold, who you can just stash and then drop uh, until Lance starts as a potential QB1. Also for the Vikings, for Kirk Cousins, the Vikings open with the Bengals, Cardinals, Seahawks, Browns, Lions, and Panthers in those first six games. So I'm playing matchups with late-round quarterbacks, and then uh, I'm getting Lance, who again does have top 12 potential with the rushing upside the moment he starts. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero.co. 